Mike. Thank you, Mike. Good morning again, y'all. Uh, my name again is Ed Griffin Hagen. I am one of the pastors here at Church on the Trail, and we are super grateful and thankful that you are here uh, this morning. Uh, lots of places that you could be, but but you are here. You know, I got one more little, and it's I say little, it's not a little announcement, but I've got one more announcement. And this is in your your worship guide, and if you didn't get a worship guide, get your hand up. We'll get one for you. But we are having on May the first, we're having a volunteer appreciation luncheon. You know, we couldn't do, and Mike mentioned uh, the volunteers for Easter. And there's a picture that we put out on social media, and I don't know how many volunteers there were. I'm going to guess there was probably 50 or 60. And it takes uh, an army of people to, to get stuff done, to do what we're doing. And so we're, we're going to have the luncheon on, uh, on May the 1st, Sunday, right after church. We're going to do it down on the church property uh, at 7201 Flat Rock Road. We're going to provide, uh, not sure, food, probably barbecue or something, but there's going to be games. It's really, and we don't, we don't want any, any volunteers to do anything to get that prepped. Um, but the luncheon is just really for y'all, whether you serve in tots or kids or, or wherever it may be, on the, on the greet team or in the, in the, on the parking team, you know, wherever it is, we just want to, to do something to just show the gratitude that, that our church family has for you as a volunteer. So come down there. There's going to be a cornhole tournament, and there's a prize, fabulous prize for the winner of that cornhole tournament. So y'all start teaming up, uh, get, you know, somebody stack some teams on the cornhole tournament. So really, just make sure that you're there if you serve anywhere in our, in our church. Now, with that said, today we are, uh, we're jumping back into a walk through the book of Acts that we have been in for several months. We stepped out of that at, in the second week of March to jump into uh, a, an Easter series that culminated in the celebration of, of the resurrection of Christ last Sunday. And when we, when we left Acts, you know, six or seven weeks ago, we were towards the end of chapter 10 in Acts. Chapter 10 is a huge chapter in the book of Acts. Luke wrote Acts, and chapter 10 is a, is a massive chapter because we see the gospel in chapter 10, we see the gospel uh, taken to the Gentiles for the very first time. And again, just to remind us, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. Back in that day, either you were a Jew or you were a Gentile. And the God, you know, Jesus said, you know, he came first to the lost sheep of Israel. And now we see, which is the Jews, and now we see in Acts 10 it being taken out to the Gentiles. And it, so if you'll bear with me, I want to run through chapter 10 up to where we'll be today. And we're going to be at the end of chapter 10. But if I can run through it uh, just for a second. It'll give us some context because it's been six or seven weeks since we were there. And so what you had at the beginning is, uh, beginning of 10, you had a Roman centurion. It meant that he was in charge of 100 guys, a Roman soldier. His name was Cornelius, and Cornelius lived in a place called Caesarea. And by all accounts, Cornelius was a pretty good guy. He was a, a God-fearer. He was a Gentile, but he, he respected um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was always helping people in need. He was a generous kind of guy. He lived, really, he lived kind of a worshipful life. He and his family did, and, and, and he was a praying man. 
And so Cornelius one day has a vision. Beginning of chapter 10 talks about that vision. And he, uh, Cornelius saw this angel. And he, this angel was as real as his next door neighbor. And the angel said to him, Cornelius. Cornelius said, what you want? And the angel said, your prayers and your life of generosity and kind of your walk have made you kind of get in front of God and take his attention a little bit. Here's what I want you to do. The angel tells Cornelius, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get some guys and go down to a place called Joppa, J-O-P-P-A, Joppa, and get Peter there. Peter's in Joppa. Cornelius is in Caesarea. The angel says, get some guys and go down and get Peter from Joppa. And as soon as that angel was gone, Cornelius jumped to and got three of his guys and sent them off to Joppa to get Peter. And the next day, as those guys are approaching Joppa, Peter, uh, who was living there, Peter goes out on his balcony to pray. Peter got hungry. Peter started thinking about lunch. And while lunch was being prepared, Peter fell into a trance, and he had a vision as well. He saw the skies open up, and the Scripture says something like a blanket was lowered out of the sky by the four corners, a rope or something, lowering this blanket. Set blanket settled on the ground. Every kind of, of animal was on that blanket. Every kind of creepy crawler, every bird, every reptile, every mammal, all the an different animals are on that, on that blanket. And, and then a voice came and said, Go to it, Peter. Kill and eat. And Peter's like, oh, Lord, no. I've never so much as tasted an unclean piece of food. I've never, I keep kosher. I'm not about to eat. I've never, it's never touched my lips. And that voice came a second time, and that voice said, if, if God says it's okay, it's okay. That happened three times to Peter. And then the blanket was lifted, pulled back up into the sky. So Peter's sitting there trying to figure out what all of that means and about the time he's trying to figure it out, the men that Cornelius had sent to Joppa show up at Peter's front door. And the spirit whispered uh, to Peter. He said, three men are down there knocking on the door looking for you. Get down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions, Peter, because I sent them. Just go down there and go with them. So Peter goes down. He says, I think I'm the man that you're looking for. What's up? And those guys are like, I'm Captain Cornelius sent us. He's our God-fearing boss. He, could, he was commanded by an angel to send us down here and get you and bring you back so he could hear what you had to say. And Peter invites them in, make them feel at home. The next morning, he and they get up, get out, and head back to Caesarea. And Peter took six of his buddies with him, six Jewish Christians with him. So when Peter and his guys got there, Cornelius was expecting them, and he had a bunch of his relatives, a bunch of his friends in his house, and talking things over, they go on in the house where Cornelius introduced Peter to his family and to his friends, and Peter addressed them, and Peter said, you know, I, it's kind of weird, and like, I get it, Jews just don't do this, Jews don't just visit with you Gentile people, Jews don't just relax in, in, in the home of somebody from another race, but God has just, Peter says this to Cornelius, but God has kind of shown me that no race is any better than any other. No people group is any better than another people group. So the minute I was sent for, I, I came, no questions asked. But now I need you, Cornelius, tell me, what, 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 do you, what do you want from me? And Cornelius told him his little story. He said, four days ago, I was at home praying, and all of a sudden there's an angel, a, a, a man right in front of me, and he said, Cornelius, your neighborly acts have put you in front of God and got the attention of God and 
I want you to, you to send some guys down to Joppa to get Peter. So Cornelius uh, said, so I did it. I sent for you, and you've been good enough to come, and now we're all here, so lay it on us. And Peter just about blew up with the good news. The gospel just blew out of his body. He said, it's God's own truth. And he said to Cornelius and Cornelius' friends, he said, nothing could be, could be plainer. God shows no favorites. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't show partiality. New King James says God's no respecter of persons. Peter said it doesn't make any difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and you're ready to, to do as he says, the door is open. The message that he sent to the children of Israel through Jesus Christ, everything that's kind of broken is being put back together again. And he's doing it, he says, Cornelius, he's doing it everywhere, and he's doing it with everyone, everyone. He said, you know the story that happened, Cornelius, you, you know it happened in Judea, and it began with, with John the Baptist preaching uh, repentance. And then Jesus shows up, and he's anointed. He's anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, and he's ready for action, and he, he went through the country, and we all saw it. He went through the country, and he's helping people, and he's healing folks. Everybody been beat down by the devil, and Jesus goes all throughout the country, and he heals them. And he was able to do all this because God was with him. Cornelius, God was with him. And we saw it. We saw it all. Everything that he did in the, in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem and Judea. And then they killed him and they hung him on a, on a cross. But in three days, God raised him and he was alive. And he sent him out where he could be seen by everybody. And then he commissioned us to announce this in public. To bear witness to, to the fact that he was the one that God has destined as the judge of the living and the dead, Cornelius. Are you understanding it? He said this whole deal, this whole deal that he is the means to forgiveness of sins, it's all backed up by Scripture, Cornelius. That's everything that happened from the beginning of chapter 10 up to where we get today. Peter has just really spoken some life into Gentiles for the very first time. Gets us up to verse 44, and that's where we're going to be starting out today. I want you to remember the book of Acts is the story of the birth of the church. It's the story of the birth of the church and the initial spread of the gospel. This series that we're in right now is called Scattered, Broader, and Wider because we see the gospel scatter broader and wider. I mean, that's a genius name, is it not? <laughs> we see the gospel scatter broader and wider now to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Like, are you kidding? Gentiles entering into the kingdom of God say it ain't so. Y'all, it would be like the riffraff getting into some fancy schmancy country club. When I was in high school, I parked cars at this fancy schmancy club. Always had to go in the building through the back door because we weren't swanky enough to be members of that fancy club. We didn't have the money to be part of that fancy club. We didn't have the right pedigree. We didn't have the right last name. We didn't dress just right or say the right things. We, maybe we didn't do the right things. 
Bottom line, we didn't have the pedigree. We didn't have that, that money last name. Just didn't fit in, really. Y'all, it was very much the same way at this moment in history. Not long after the church was born. Now, it shouldn't have been that way, but it was that way. The Jews never thought that Gentiles, and I'm talking about the Jews that were saved. They never really, even though Jesus said it, you know, even though Acts 1 8 is the pivotal verse of the New Testament, we'll get to that in a minute, they still were kind of holding on to that, to that heritage like we got Abraham's blood running through our veins and you don't. But then Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. You are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. He might as well be saying there's not black, there's not white, there's not purple, there's not green. There's not Muslim, there's not Buddha, whatever. There's not, none of that stuff. He says for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All through faith. Y'all, that's the... That's one of the major messages of Christianity, that there is, no, there is no distinction of race or any other separators. The only separator is there's lost sinners and there's saved sinners. That's it. And those two buckets are full of way all kind of different kinds of people. There is no other distinction. When Jesus comes, God's promise is fulfilled, and his promise was this, that through Abraham's seed, through Abraham's lineage, through the, through the blood of Abraham, that the world was going to be blessed. All the families of the earth, Genesis says, through Abraham's family, all the generations of the earth are going to be blessed. Because ultimately the Messiah comes through Abraham's lineage. Abraham was the means. Abraham was the means that Messiah comes. Abraham's lineage, Abraham and his lineage, were not the end. The Jews were not the end game. Y'all get that? It was the means by which Messiah comes. Now when you look around, what you see is that everybody, I don't care what your race is, what your nationality, I don't care none about none of that. Everybody is equally in need of getting saved. And everybody is equally unable to do it for themselves. Is that right? Can't do it ourselves. Can't save myself. Can't do it. So God provides salvation equally among everybody. And there can be no prejudice. Don't name the name of Christ and hate people that look different to, th than you. Don't do it. Those two things are mutually exclusive. They can't exist. Jesus came to be a savior to the world. To all of the world. It's a beautiful thing in Acts chapter 10. Because Peter just simply says to Cornelius, he's like, bro, salvation is available. Salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is through faith alone. Cornelius, you can have it. Here it is. Here's what it is. Here's how to get it. And y'all, that's really all that, that, that he needed to know. That's all his family needed to know. And that's all that you and I need to know. Salvation is in Christ alone through faith alone. 
If we back up to where we ended six or seven weeks ago, and I don't even know if this is on the screen or not. No, it's not. Verse 43, Acts 10, 43 kind of sums it up. Is it on the screen? It is on the screen. Look how that happens. I just said it and it gets up there. What does it say? It says, to him all the prophets bear witness that some people? What's that word? Everyone. Does it say just white folks? Or just black folks? Green, purple, blue? No. Everyone. To him all the prophets bear witness. That means the scripture is pointing and bearing witness. That everyone who believes in him not does something, not keeps the law, not whatever, but everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Y'all, it is by faith alone. And then if you're looking in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit just interrupts the whole thing that Peter's saying. The Holy Spirit just interrupts it, and the Holy Spirit is like, stop. He's like, listen, Pete, I got this. I got this whole thing under control. Salvation is available, it's in Christ alone, and it is through faith alone, and bam, they all believe. Every one of them, boom, they all believe. On the spot, they all believed. Cornelius and his friends and his family, bam, they're saved. And you may be flipping through your Bible, scrolling on your phone and saying, where does it say that in Acts chapter 10? It doesn't say that in Acts chapter 10. And you say, well, how can, Ed, how can you say that when the Bible doesn't say that? And I would say because I can, I can say that because based on what are the results. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, he's talking about the guys that came with Peter. They're Jewish Christians. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Well, why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Here's a little nugget for y'all. God doesn't drop his Holy Spirit into unbelievers. Y'all get that? Amen or something. God, hey, he doesn't drop his Holy Spirit into unbelievers. He gives his Holy Spirit to believers. He gives his Holy Spirit to those who come to him humbly at the foot of his cross. And cry out to be saved. Doesn't matter what they look like, where they came from. And it's a beautiful thing, really, that it, that it doesn't say in there, and Cornelius believed and gives us a bunch of theology. And Cornelius believed and everybody else believed and, and they all said, Jesus, come into my heart. It doesn't say that because it doesn't have to say that. Luke is a historian. He's a theological historian, but he's a historian. He just tells us what happens. What happened. And what happened verifies their salvation. You know, the Holy Spirit drops into you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. What comes out of you at that point? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus says you're going to recognize them by their fruit. That's how we know about people's salvation. We see what happens, and right at the, the, the beginning of somebody's walk, there's some stuff that probably happens. There's probably a lot of stuff that happens. I want to give you three things that happen, at least three things that should happen. The first thing is this, spiritual power. Spiritual power. 
Again, verse 44, while Peter was saying, still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And verse 45 goes again on and says the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And if we go ahead a chapter, I think we'll be here next week, in chapter 11, Peter is back in Jerusalem and he's telling all the boys what happened when he was up there in Caesarea. And he says in verse 15 of chapter 11, he says, guys, like as soon as I started talking, the Holy Spirit just fell on them just like he did on us. The Holy Spirit fell on them, them Gentiles, just like he fell on us. There's not like 12 different Holy Spirits. You know, one for the green people and one for the Chinese people and one for the... No, no, the Holy Spirit fell just like he did on us. When we get to that, that was a tough thing for them to hear. Peter's like, I didn't even get warmed up yet. He had a big sermon prepared for Cornelius' house. He didn't even get warmed up. He said, I just shared the gospel and bam, Spirit came. The minute he said, salvation is available, it's in Christ alone, it's through faith alone, boom, all those people are saved. And as soon as you and I believe, as soon as you and I believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't say to them, okay, good, I'm glad, now you believe we got that little, check bo uh, little box checked. Let me teach you how to go out and find, play a little hide and seek. Let me teach you how to go out and find the Holy Spirit. No, no, God does not withhold his spirit from somebody who believes. Don't you ever believe that? It's just wrong to say or believe that somebody can be saved and not be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Don't say like, I'm saved, but I still haven't received the Holy Spirit. Don't say that because it's not true. You have. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a new creation using Paul's language, then the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. Now that becomes normative for Christ followers from this point on. And normative, you know, it just means that's just the way it is on this side of Jesus' ascension. What happens at his ascension? What did Jesus tell his guys over and over? I got to go. I got to go to the Father, and the Father will send a comforter, a counselor. He'll send his spirit, and his spirit will be in you. On this side, that happens in Acts chapter 1. On this side of Acts 1, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. When a man or woman believes, God gives them the Holy Spirit. There's no tricks, there's no password, there's no secret handshake. There's no, like, you get saved and you get the little secret decoder ring that helps you, you know, n navigate to where the Holy Spirit. No. He is yours the moment you get saved. First thing that happens, you put faith and trust in Christ instantly. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell with you. And he lives inside of you from then on. And his presence is with you. And his presence with you is... Is as, is as eternal as your salvation is. Easter Sunday, last week, week ago today, that we know of, five people got saved, that we know of. Lord have mercy. Are y'all awake? That's why we do what we do. Really, that's why every church ought to do what every church does. Help the saints grow and lead people, lost people into a, saving relationship with the Lord so that we know of five people got saved 
Those five people were immediately indwelt with the Holy Spirit. At our service, on our property, in my backyard, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate a little bit of how that all happens from, from John chapter, the, the, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament, chapter 7. Chapter 7 in John the Feast of Tabernacles is going on, and you got pouring of water, and water symbolizing, of course, God's sustenance of Israel, the nation of Israel in the wilderness, and people have been talking about Isaiah's words, about drinking from the wells of salvation, and at that moment when everybody's thinking about water and looking at water, Jesus stands up. Verse 37 of John chapter 7, he says, If anybody thirsts, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Super simple little statement. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In other words, Jesus takes this whole deal and he turns it to himself. And what he's saying is that if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty, you can drink. You know that salvation could come at that day to those people if they would turn to him. If they would turn to Jesus. They could have received the water. You remember the water? That he gave the woman at the well, John chapter 4, I think it is. If you've watched the show The Chosen, the scene with the woman at the well was in just incredibly powerful. What did he say? He said, if you believe in me, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. You'll never thirst again. If you're thirsty, come to me, he says. And so there was this promise that they could have spiritual water, spiritual refreshment. A spring of pure cleansing water, the water of life inside of them. And so I ask you, are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty? Am I thirsty today? But then he, he, he takes it a little further in verse 38. He says, whoever, again, whoever believes in me. He doesn't say whoever keeps the Levitical dietary laws. No. He doesn't say whoever went to seminary. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say whoever kept the 613 Old Testament commands. No. The only qualifier is whoever believes in me. Doesn't take a Ph.D. to believe in him. Doesn't take a certain last name to believe in him. Doesn't take a pedigree. You have a certain pedigree to believe in him. No, it doesn't. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So now he's given us kind of a two-part, little two-fold promise. Number one, you're going to receive the water. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Going to live inside of you if you're thirsty and you want to be quenched. But then number two, it's going to pour out of you. It's going to pour out of you and it's not a trickle. Rivers, gushing, gushing flowing rivers of water two promises spiritual refreshment for me I'm thirsty I'm lost the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of me saves me and then this river of flowing water this water of life that flows out of me to the world y'all that's evangelism that's what he's talking about how can I be indwelt with the Holy Spirit and go sit in a corner and keep it to myself I can't. 
Peter's standing in front of Cornelius and his family about to explode talking about Jesus. Scripture says the the river of water comes inside of me and then it flows out of me. I become the means, right? I become the vessel that God uses. That's what he's talking about, that life that is given to me. James was talking about every breath that we take is grace and it's a gift. So this life that is now in me, given me by Christ, flows out of me to help reach others. That's the point of the church. That's the whole point of the church. Listen, if I didn't receive the Holy Spirit when I was saved, I wouldn't have the ability to communicate my faith. That would mean that I was saved without the energy to reproduce. I don't believe that for a minute. It doesn't make any sense that the Lord would save me and then send me out into the world impotent without the power and the energy to communicate my salvation. That's nonsense, y'all. It flies in the in the very face of everything that we know about the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So how am I fueled to do that? The energy and the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me gives me the fuel to go out and play my role in the Great Commission, to go make disciples. So the first thing that happens when you put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ is this spiritual power. And the spiritual power is because I'm instantaneously indwelt and given His Spirit. The second thing that happens is this. There's a public confession. Or public confession. It's baptism. We call it God plunge at Church on the Trail. That's a public confession of what happened. Verse 46, Acts 10. For they were hearing... Who was hearing? They, Peter and his guys. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water? It's funny the way he says it. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? Again, he says, just as we have. Peter's like, so what are we going to do? What what, what are we going to do? If nobody got a better idea, I say we dunk them. That's really what Peter's saying. He's saying, I I don't know what, I can't even, it's almost like Peter can't even believe he's interrupted. The Holy Spirit uh, uh, falls on these Gentile people, and he's like, man, I guess we need to find a horse trough and dunk these people. Like, like what do we do? You know how important baptism is. Y'all, if you've been saved and not baptized, forgive me, but you're being disobedient. It is an obedience thing. It is not a salvation thing. When I got saved, if I'd have got run over by a bus before I got baptized, guess where I'll be? In heaven, in the arms of my Lord. (laughs) Y'all are like, well, that may be true for us, but not you. No. No, it don't work that way. Listen. It's an obedience thing. And in the early church, there was never a separation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's your public confession. It symbolizes beautifully the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus as you're identified with him. And we say it when we do it around here that you're, when you go under the water, you're buried in the likeness of his death and you're raised to walk in the newness of life. You're raised to walk in the newness of life so that the rivers, the flowing rivers of the Holy Spirit can come out of you and reach people. It's so important. 
Peter says, hey, if they believe, and probably Peter's six guys are like, I don't know about all this stuff. So Peter is telling them, like, like if they believed, they got to get baptized. He probably is almost maybe even a little apologetic to his guys because they're still learning about this whole Gentile thing. We got to do it, he says. And I love in verse 48, he says, and he, Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So number one, you got spiritual power. Number two, you got a public confession, baptism. And then the third thing that happens when you put your faith and put your trust in Christ, it is the very end of, of verse 48. It says, then they asked him to remain for some days. And you're probably thinking, what does that even mean? They, remain, they asked him to remain for some days. So is that this model that all Christians are supposed to have their houses be an Airbnb or something? No, li listen to what, when they asked Peter to remain for some days, it's this third sign, I believe, of authentic salvation and it's fellowship, sweet fellowship. You know, you can almost always tell when somebody's really saved because they crave Christian fellowship. Have you ever known a baby that didn't want to eat? Have you ever known a baby that didn't want to be held? Have you ever known a baby that didn't want to be loved on? Y'all, we got some new mamas and daddies around here. We can ask them, is that, there's Zach. Hazel just uninterested in eating. She just doesn't want to eat. No. Adrian and Joel in here? There. She doesn't care about being held. Right? Nah, she doesn't care anything about being loved on. No to the no. Y'all, if you could translate the words of their little girl, and if you could translate the words of your little girl, it would be, feed me, hold me, love on me, now. Right? Raise your hand if you've heard that, but it sounded like blah, 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 blah. Right? We, if you have kids, you've heard that. Feed me, now, hold me, now, love on me, now. Y'all, you see, my point is a, a babe in Christ. That's what they call for. Feed me, love me, hold me. And here Peter's standing in this Gentile's house, and he's got a house full, and we don't know how many, but it's a bunch of, of Cornelius' friends, and it's a bunch of his family, and they all get saved. And Peter wasn't about to just walk out the door and head back to Joppa. They asked him to hang around. And what they're saying is, Peter, feed us. Love on us. Hug us, fist bump us, give us a little elbow, teach us, teach us. You know, when somebody comes to Christ, I just really believe that they honestly crave and desire fellowship with other Christians. And I think they desire to want to know the Word of God. I know when I got saved, I couldn't get enough. I'm like, somebody teach me this stuff. get saved you want to you want to dig in you want to be fed it's just another reason that just points to Cornelius and all those guys were saved in that moment they wanted fellowship they wanted Peter to to pour into them so in Acts 10 we see salvation coming to this group of Gentiles what an incredible chapter in scripture you see the fulfillment of so many things. 
so many lessons. We talked about three of those lessons. And I want to hone in on one. I want to close this out, really honing in on one major lesson of really all of chapter 10, not just this last part. And there's a bunch of lessons in there, but I want to hone in on one. And I talked about it a minute ago, and I talked a little bit about it six or seven weeks ago. God shows no partiality. When you name the name of Christ, don't you dare show partiality. Rich, poor, I don't care. He don't care. He shows no partiality. He's no respecter of men. Not prejudice. There's not one group that's elevated up. You know, people say, oh, Jews are God's chosen people. Okay, what were they chosen to be? They were chosen to be the means by which God was going to bring Messiah to the world. Again, they were not the end. Don't elevate Jews. God doesn't. They were the means. What a privilege and an honor to be the means that Messiah would come to the world. God shows no partiality. He said it was going to happen in His Scripture, and then now the doors are thrown wide open. Acts 1.8, what does it say? Be my, Jesus' last words, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out to the world. And what we see now is this out to the world happening. Boom, out to the Gentiles. That's just this, this image of the gospel is open to everyone. Not everybody that keeps the law. Not everybody that does a sacrifice three times a day. It's open to everybody who does what? One word. What's the word? Believes. Everybody who believes their sin is forgiven. And y'all, when your sin is forgiven, and you know, my prayer is that you would live your life this way. That you would be no respecter of people. That you would show no partiality. That you would show no, um, no prejudice in your life. Everybody deserves to hear your Jesus story. you got a river inside of you that's just aching to get out. And that is what we do. Everyone who believes their sin is forgiven. And, and let me tell you, I don't know where you are today. I have no idea. But I know we live with shame and we live with guilt. And you just don't know what I've done and blah, 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 blah. But when the Lord forgives you, it's this perfect image of the way we should forgive each other. When the Lord forgives you, there's 20 different metaphors that Scripture uses. He takes your sin, He puts it as far as the east is from the west. What does that mean? That means He doesn't see it anymore. Because He looks at you and He sees this beautiful white robe of His Son that's just wrapped up around you. God, what a beautiful image. He cast your sin into the abyss, never to be heard from again. Y'all, there's freedom in that. There is freedom in that. I want you to get your arms around the way that the Lord forgives us. And the way that it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter the pedigree. It doesn't matter your last name. It doesn't matter whether you got a bunch of money or you ain't got no money. None of that matters. The only distinction only qualification is those who believe. If you've never believed, if you've never said yes to that offer, 
I encourage you, man, don't go to sleep tonight without at least considering that offer. Don't do it. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And it is it's just a simple formula. Repent. That's what John the Baptist went around Israel preaching. Repentance. Turn away from the sin and turn towards the Lord. And believe that his death on that cross. Believe that it paid a debt that wasn't his to pay. Y'all, it wasn't his to pay. It was mine and yours to pay. But he did it for us anyway. He loved us in the middle of being unlovable. He loved us in the middle of us spitting on him on the cross. Man, there's no love like that. But believe that that death took care of that debt. And that he walked out of the grave and makes that resurrection, that eternal life available to me and you. And if you have been a believer for years or something, take that little snippet, that little 45 seconds that I just walked through. Weave your own personal story into that and let the river come out of you when you get to work Monday morning, when you're at the ball field, when you're at the soccer field, when you're playing pickleball. Let the river just come out, y'all. But if you've never, if you've never said yes to that, if y'all would close your eyes, if you bow your heads and just say this with me. Lord, today is the day where I where I do turn away from my ways and turn towards you. Today's the day that I do believe that your death took care of my sin. And today is a day that I do believe. As sure as I'm standing here right now that you walked out of a grave alive. And I cry out to you, Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. And he will. He will save you. He will not say no. And you will be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And look, if that's you, today our somebody from our prayer team will be back in that corner. would love to pray with you. And if you just need prayer for, for whatever, go back there and, and, and talk to somebody. Come see me, talk to me fill out a little connection card our prayer team will pray we really do pray through our, our prayer team and our staff through the things that get turned in on those connection cards so fellowship that's the fellowship we bear each other's burdens and we rejoice with each other's joys that's, that's, what, that's what the body of Christ does so I encourage you to fill that out turn it in if y'all would stand up and let's uh, and let's worship.